Hold down. Hold silent. Going, going, going. Go on, Welcome to the Current Market Insights Podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate. Each episode, we chat with real estate author and industry leader Peter O'Malley to discuss the current property market conditions and provide insights to assist you on your property journey. Welcome to another episode of Current Market Insights. I'm your host, Kieran O'Brien, and with me as always is my good friend, Peter O'Malley. Welcome, Peter. Uh, thanks, Kieran. Great to see you. Great to see you again, my friend. Uh, look, it's been a, a week since we had a chat. It'd be a good opportunity, I thought, to catch up and just go through a bit of a market update, get a sense of where we are and, and you know what you're seeing on the ground as an agent around the inner west at the moment. Long weekend, uh, school holidays, grand final weekend last weekend. It was pretty subdued, actually, Kieran. There were a few transactions out there. Um, but I think a lot of the sales that were reported as auction sales, for example, on Saturday were not actually sold under the hammer on Saturday. They sold leading into the weekend. So the clearance rate for the weekend, uh, as far as SQM research goes, was around 50%, um, which is a pretty solid result. The same weekend last year was 40%. And um, that grand final weekend has got a uh, historical habit of being below trend as people are distracted on the day. Well, understandably so, and it certainly was a, uh, a good weekend of football. I don't know what you thought, but uh, some, some great matches overall. Uh, great weekend of football if you weren't supporting uh, either of the Brisbane sides, I guess, Kieran. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. Uh, so given that, uh, you know, it's a bit of a muted week, obviously, we're well and truly we're, we're through September now. We're into October. The The spring cycle has kind of kicked off. Uh, now that we've had a month of it, and it's typically a busy time of the year, how do you feel that the first month of this 2023 spring has gone for property? Uh, I think most agents would say that stock levels have been more subdued than they're expecting. The last time the market surprised on the upside with stock levels was in uh, late June, July. Most agents reported unseasonally high stock levels uh, at that point in time. Interestingly and unsurprisingly, Kieran, the last interest rate rise was in June. So I think we're seeing, based on on that, there is real sensitivity to uh, interest rate rises or the talk of interest rate rises. And the last time we did experience a rate rise, it pushed a lot of stock onto the market. Now that rates have been stable for a number of months, as they were again in October, we're not seeing um, people being pushed into the market against their natural desires. We'll get a sense when these school holidays finish after the coming weekend as to whether there is pent-up stock in the system, but we're not getting that sense uh, at the moment. I think a lot of people are just looking to ride through into 2024 from here. So does that give, uh, or to me, it seems to give credence to the mortgage cliff that we've talked about for so long, uh, that June rate rise obviously toppled a couple of people off the edge. And, and as you're saying here, does that kind of paint the picture that, you know, another one coming in the future may just topple a few more people and so on and so forth until, you know, we reach potentially this cataclysmic kind of, uh, you know, precipice that, that not many people can stand on? Uh, look, the numbers uh, the numbers don't suggest that we're coming up toward a cataclysmic event of any kind. Uh, 30 days arrears are actually pretty low if you're looking at the banking numbers, so that's a real positive for the market. Because the interest rate mindset of the Reserve Bank was telegraphed so well over the last 18 months to 20 months, people who were susceptible to interest rate rises have readjusted their situation already. That's what we're seeing in the market. Now, some people will dive into their savings. 
Some people will sell an investment property to reduce debt and put equity against the home loan. Others will get a better paying job or a second job or take a side hustle. Some people will cut back on their uh, discretionary lifestyle uh, wherever possible and, and put that extra savings back against their home loan. So I think what we're seeing here at the moment is that the marketplace and the economy are managing the interest rates at the current levels. Statistically, we're halfway through the mortgage cliff at the moment, which is really interesting. So when you're saying when the mortgage cliff hits, well, the mortgage cliff has hit now where we are just past the halfway mark of those COVID-era home loans expiring and needing to be refinanced. So we're by no means out of the woods. There's obviously turbulence on money markets as we record this. Pretty couple of wild days on the money markets where share markets are down, you know, one, one and a half percent, down two percent intraday. Um, so that's pretty, pretty volatile. So it does suggest that the bond markets are, uh, are playing up a bit at the moment. But for, for most people, they're, they're managing their affairs okay at the moment. So sticking with then the the spring sort of cycle, given that you mentioned numbers have been pretty muted, you know, a relatively low listing, uh, I guess, frenzy compared to previous years. Previous springs, that's Previous right. springs. How have you found with your sales in September or other agencies around, how have the prices held compared with previous years? I think the properties that are transacting are transacting at pretty healthy numbers. I wouldn't suggest that there's anything that's being sold in the marketplace at the moment that I would say is... Um, a bargain or even close to a bargain. One of our sales in September, Kieran, sold for 10% more than what it sold for in 2021 when, when interest rates were at 2%. And that's really interesting uh, a sale because there was no improvements done to the property. It was exactly the same property minus wear and tear, uh, but it sold for 10% more. Now, it wasn't a cheaper entry price point property, but uh, still it sold for 10% more than the buyer bought for it uh, uh, two years ago. Yeah, certainly healthy numbers. Uh, does that, I guess, if, if you're a, someone listening at the moment and you're thinking about selling, does that give you a bit of confidence that now's a reasonably good time to sell without much competition, uh, but also pretty healthy prices across the board? Well, year to date, Sydney house prices are up 10.5% until October 1 and apartments are up 7.5% for the uh, the calendar year to date. So they're pretty healthy numbers. So a lot of people are saying to me at the moment, oh, I read a report that property prices are going to increase next year. And it's like, well, I don't know if property prices are going to increase next year, but I'll tell you what I do know, they've increased this year. And it was a rally in the market that nobody saw coming or very few saw coming. So as you're a vendor, I think you can have a lot more confidence and comfort coming to the market at the moment than what you could have last spring because a lot of the uh, price correction that we experienced in 2022 actually happened between September and Christmas, whereas uh, how it looks at the moment in, in this spring is that if you're up... Uh, 10.5% for the year in housing, that's a great time to go to the market. Absolutely. I read uh, read something interesting yesterday off the back of uh, the RBA meeting this week that, uh, in fact, the, the strong rally in house prices is something of a concern to the board uh, and something that they need to factor into their decisions going forward. Given that we've just had uh, an RBA meeting this week and we've had the first one with Michelle Bullock at the helm, uh, I wonder if you had a chance to, to catch her statement and, and get any sense of you know, what the, the RBA's position is and what her uh, likely tenure is going to look like. Yeah, look, I did read the statement this time, which I don't always do, Kieran, and it was it was good reading, actually, because it was Michelle Bullock's first uh, monetary policy decision to give us an insight into her mindset, which wasn't really dissimilar to Philip Lowe. But the reason I wanted to read this one is that there was so much 
What I felt on this board meeting and the statement, there was so much contradiction from the interpretation amongst journalists out there. Normally in the media, there's a consistency about how they interpret the statement and you can get a sense of what the RBA thinking was. But coming out of uh, the October 2023 meeting, I just found in the media commentary that they're all sort of taking something different out of the statement. So some of the takeouts that I took was that, quote unquote, many services are continuing to rise briskly and fuel prices have risen noticeably of late. And um, that was interesting uh, to me because, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting I'm getting Bowser shock at the moment. Every time I fill up, I just can't believe how much it costs to fill up a car it's, at the moment. It's ridiculous. I have a small car and I still feel like it's, yeah, it's a, it's a price that I don't think I even factored into this year's spending in my brain. Yeah, that's right. And now, look, um, I'm not suggesting for one moment that you or I are going to struggle to fill up the car. Maybe, unfortunately, there are people that are. But what I do know, uh, the very little I do know about how economics works, is that that is going to spill across the cost of a lot of things if that fuel price stays elevated. So the RBA was absolutely right to say that that is a, an inflationary force in the economy that as, in, as inflation was coming down a few months ago, nobody foresaw that fuel prices would go up the way they have. Um, uh, Bullock went on to say that rent inflation also remains elevated. Um, the central forecast is for the CPI inflation to continue to decline and be back within their target 2 to 3 percentage range wait for it in late 2025 yeah i did hear that which is i guess one of the reasons i wanted to lead into this is that's the the conversation i heard was uh, that their thinking is potentially that's when rates may start to come back a little bit when they feel that you know cpi is back within target that feels like a very long time yeah to hold the current you know, economics of life, right? It's it's challenging for everyone. So if we go back to the mortgage cliff discussion and people are managing their affairs at the moment, there are a lot of people that are, you know, dipping into their rainy day solution at the moment, whether it is, as I say, they're cutting back on lifestyle discretionaries or, or uh, you know, going into cash savings or selling an investment property off to give them some runway. But what that statement's saying there is that um, we won't be back within 2 to 3% target range until late 2025. That is code for, uh, you know, higher for longer mm. as far as rates go, and that, that'll be painful for a lot of people if if that's the way it plays. I hope it doesn't play that way. It's I thought they might have um, broken it a little bit quicker than this, and We'll wait to see how it goes. Later on in the statement, um, Bullock says, if inflation were to become entrenched in people's expectations, it would be very costly to reduce later, involving even higher interest rates and a larger rise in unemployment. So they're by no means giving confidence there that we're uh, completely out of the woods. And uh, in her closing statement, she says, some further tightening of monetary policy may be required to ensure that inflation returns to target in a reasonable time frame. The board remains resolute in its determination to return inflation to target and will do what is necessary to achieve that outcome. So fuel prices are a global a global force and, and let's just hope that settles down because if that does stay at the current levels, that is going to feed into food inflation, travel inflation, transport, etc. And that, that could set off another another wave of, uh, of of inflationary pressures which no one wants to see. I can't uh, – I'm not going to pretend that I'm a fan of uh, 
Michelle Bullock's statements, I'll be honest. I, I wonder, from your experience, it feels a little bit to me like she is trying to hedge her bets in terms of her commentary. You know, one of the, I guess, the, the major criticisms of Philip Lowe heading into this whole period is that he made promising sounding statements and then had to retract on them relatively quickly. Do you think that there's an element of her just sort of saying, well, it's it's okay and, and we're, we're not too bad, but there are a couple of things that maybe we may have to do something just to, to kind of water down the statement for the general public? Or do you think that she's just been quite sort of, uh, I guess, pragmatic in saying, look, inflation is sticky. There are some elements of it that are hanging around that we maybe hadn't hoped for. And this could take a little while to get back in in check. It's very deliberate statement. And I think like all of these statements that central bankers put put out there, there's um, it needs to be read and reread to be clearly interpreted. There's a lot of messaging between the lines is what I'm saying um, or what I'm reading, I should say. Um, I'm okay with this particular statement. She outlines the challenges that are out there. The Chinese economy is coming off really quickly. The American share market, as we discussed earlier, has had a very turbulent start to to this week. Bond markets uh, look volatile. These are all things that have nothing to do. They're not within the RBA's uh, you know sphere of control. They, they've they've just got to deal with it if if and when it happens. Philip Lowe was really, really clear for mine in his messaging when he had to start increasing interest rates, how he got caught into that no rate rises until 2024, he'll forever regret. And, you know, in the end he was saying, I, I didn't really say it, but it's like it's a little bit like John Howard's interest rate promise in the 2004 election. You know, he was trying to say or claim to say that interest rates would always be lower under a Liberal government and then that got twisted and turned on him and I didn't really say that what I meant but he was happy during the election campaign for it to hang in the air and then when interest rates rose in the 2007 election on Melbourne Cup Day that was sort of like the end of John Howard there as far as the electorate was going because he promised that wouldn't happen in their eyes on on his watch so these are really really tough statements to get right but I think I feel like I have a more nuanced sense of where things are going having read it and um, unless we were to see an absolute collapse of inflationary pressures and possibly even heading towards deflation, that uh, rate cuts are off the agenda for the time being. If they're saying we won't be back to the target band of 2 to 3% until 2025, what they are saying in that is that if unemployment goes up, that does not constitute the reasoning for a rate cut. That would actually be, and they haven't said these words, but that would be a welcome event if more people were to to lose their job because that would help return inflation to where they want it to be. So these are some of the some of the Brussels sprouts of this statement that uh, uh, people need to be aware of. Well, on that point actually, it was only I only watched uh it might have been seventh. Oh no, it was something on the ABC yesterday, uh, and they mentioned a, a statement from the RBA. Well, they dissected part of this, and that one of their takeaways was that yeah, the, the RBA is quite happy to see unemployment head above four uh, percent, just to help ease a little bit some of this pressure. Uh, but as you say, it is it's a nuanced conversation. It's a really challenging topic. Uh, I don't like the sound of it because. I'm sick of paying more for everything, you know, like everyone else. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's depressing to think about in, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you did mention in that statement rental inflation 
which of course makes me think about the rental market. That's something we deal with quite often. We've spoken a lot about it on the podcast. It, it's something that really has been evolving over the last 18 months, the, the rental picture. Uh, what's your sense of, of how it's going at the moment? Uh, are you seeing any real changes? Is there any relief for, for renters at the moment or is the market still uh, The free? rental market is much more seasonal than people realise, Kieran. So during winter, the rental market had a bit of a breather. Um, there was a little bit of uh, elevation in stock levels. You weren't seeing a big wave of, of new entrants into the city and the country during winter. But now as the weather's warmed up again, we are seeing more and more students come from um, from overseas and, and, and more people return to office, i.e. moving back into Sydney. So when you look at um, uh, property data, it does show the regions are continuing to come off and a lot of those people that are leaving the regions are going back into capital cities, meaning they're coming back into Sydney. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen too many uh, uh, new residential construction developments uh, uh, commenced or completed in recent times. I've seen plenty of roadwork slowing me down, but nothing uh, seemingly happening around them. That's right. Isn't that the truth? So um, I think what we're seeing there in, in very basic terms is that more people are coming into the city and we're not building more dwellings to house them and that's going to put more pressure on the rental market. I saw a market analyst, uh, um, you might have even shown it to me actually a few weeks ago, said that they expect the rental market to ease and potentially pull back a bit next year because interest rates will pull back and interest rates are the largest determinant of the rental market. That is just a statement that uh, I just vehemently disagree with. Uh, When you have people being pushed into capital cities and there are not new dwellings being built to house those people, they're going to start competing with... uh, you know, with existing people in the market for dwellings and that's what's playing out at the moment. So, um, yeah, okay, the rental market has risen strongly from its COVID lows, but it is not a crisis yet. The crisis will come in 2024 uh, on the trajectory we're on. Like you'll be happy to know, actually, I saw a uh, I saw a tweet today from Anthony Albanese standing there with Chris Minns uh, and a couple of other people and they were very, very excited because they just announced... Uh, three old red brick homes that were about to be converted into six social housing units or something. Uh, And that was all part of this, you know, housing future fund revolution that the Labor Party's got planned to solve the housing crisis. Uh, And I just couldn't help but laugh. They were all patting themselves on the back at this most ridiculous, you know, solution to a problem that, as you say, is driven by mass immigration, you know, lack of stock that is in some cases decades behind. You can't just catch it up overnight because you, you know, you've got good intentions and a, and a wish. It just doesn't work like that. Well, you're not going to catch up when local councils continue to take developers to court to stop development. And that's the Land and Environment Court is clogged at the moment with developers trying to get high density dwellings through the system and they've had to take the local council to court to achieve that. Now, I'm not saying for one moment that that's the only solution that we should start signing off on larger scale developments. What I'm saying is that if the government of the day, Labor or Liberal, are going to invite over 500,000 people a year into the country, most of who end up in Sydney or Melbourne, then you have to also have a reciprocal policy that allows mass stock to come to market quickly so that we can house them. And those two policies that the government are running at the moment are in conflict with each other. I think Minns and Albanese had to get together for a photo op because last week the news was 
men's wanted to go um, uh, up not up in the city against uh, Clover, yeah, yeah, up up in the city and not out in the suburbs, and that's in contradiction to uh, to what um, the prime minister would probably want and expect, and where construction jobs in the construction industry would want it. Where let's just keep adding a new street in Western Sydney and let the urban sprawl run. So they probably had to show the public they're back on the the same page and the same team and all the rest of it. So there's a lot of optics in that. But as you quite rightly say, is if you've got half a million people coming into the country uh, each year and you're uh, celebrating in the newspaper the fact that you're, uh, you've turned three houses into six dwellings, um, that's not really going to solve it, is it? Well, it's certainly not going to solve it today and it's not going to solve it in the next, let's be honest, three months or six months. It's going to take a long time even for these. I, I think it was six and I, you know, I'm happy to stand corrected if I got the number wrong. But uh, that's not going to solve a problem in the short term. And this, as you say, you know, development problems, the Land Environment Court, I cannot, I don't know about you, but every time I think about local councils fighting developers, I think of Utopia on the ABC. I don't know if you've seen that show. No. Uh, it's it's a satirical look at the just ridiculousness of government and the bureaucracy involved in doing anything. Uh, I strongly recommend it to yourself and anyone listening. Uh, it is so depressingly accurate that you'll laugh and then cry about the state of this country's political setup because we are just stifling our own, yeah. you know, progress here. So um, when you've got these competing contradictory forces and then you've got a blockage in the system like you've just explained. I just say to myself simplistically, how does this all play out? And it plays out in the rental market. That's why I say a rental crisis, a real rental crisis is coming because there's nowhere else for the pressure to unload. Yeah. Well, they're, you know, sadly, they're the easiest target for, for the downstream kind of flow and effect of all of this. I, I'm not going to call them the easiest target. I, I, I would phrase it this way. It's the path of least resistance. Yeah. So I think we've discussed in the past where you'll have a, you know, We've had numerous examples, and we take landlords' instructions, but we've had numerous examples in the last uh, 18 months where the landlord wants to put the rent up aggressively to meet market rate on a, on a family who might be on one income or two. The family elect not to stay because they can't afford to stay. We put it back on the rental market, and then someone pays the landlord's new elevated rate, but it's in a shared household arrangement. And shared household arrangements are consuming single-income uh, single-income families' uh, d- dwellings at the moment. So young people clubbing together are a far more potent port force in terms of a tenancy profile than um, uh, mum and dad, dad or mum goes to work and the other might stay home, for example, and their single household income. Um, they're under real pressure in the rental market at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's tough at a time when they're particularly vulnerable. Uh, they are vulnerable and, and, and um, no one likes to see it. But what we're doing here today is giving carrot market insights, just getting people an insight into how it's playing out. We're not here to judge the, 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 the ethics of it or the morals of it. This is, just, this, is, this is how markets work, whether we like it or we don't. And it's understandable that a lot of people don't like the fact that there's a rental crisis brewing and, and there's been stress on tenants at the moment. It's very unfortunate. And as I said, the government need to get a policy that's harmonious with their immigration policy. Absolutely. Look, as we uh, move towards close today, Peter, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about land tax. My understanding on it, on it is, uh, I guess, cursory at best. I Obviously, I know what it is and I understand its implications. What I don't really know is how it's calculated and when it's calculated. 
but I've heard some rumblings that it is is one of those considerations as you come towards the end of the year. Just love to get some insight from you on what's actually involved in, in land tax calculations. Who does it really apply to and what do they need to think about as we come toward the end of the year? Oh, look, land tax applies to um, investors. It doesn't apply to owner-occupiers on their principal place of residence. And there's a threshold, there's a land tax-free threshold, which varies uh, year to year. Probably the most important thing about land tax is that anyone that does want to avoid land tax in 2024 and therefore wants to sell an investment property, which many people are looking to do at the moment, you need to have that sale settled before Christmas so that you're not the owner of the property on December 31 this year. So land tax is calculated on whomever the title holder is on December 31. or So whoever owns the property at that point in time is liable for the land tax. So as an investor, if you're thinking, I might sell my property now, I might list it in November and settle it in January, well, your name will still be in the title on December 31, meaning that you might be settling the sale on January 15 or or January 31, but you're going to pay the whole year's land tax because you own the property on December 31. So to sell an investment property at the moment, avoid land tax, and still be able to offer the purchaser a six-week settlement, which is the standard settlement, you need to have your property under contract by about the 8th of November this year. Yeah, wow. Okay, so about four weeks from now. Four years, yeah. And the thing about land tax is that land has gone up, Rents have gone up a little bit, but not anywhere near in percentage terms as much as what land has gone up. So a lot of people are hit with massive land tax bills each February, March, when, when, they, when they're issued to the title holders of the previous December 31. And the time to plan around land tax is now. And uh, we know from our rent roll that there's a lot of landlords that don't actually receive any net income themselves until somewhere around May or June each year because they're paying off land tax bills that have arrived uh, February, March of, of that calendar year. Yeah, gosh, that's a consideration that I suspect many people haven't really thought about. Oh, that's right, and that's why we don't jump on the bandwagon of beating up on landlords because as, as a real estate agent watching the cash flow of landlords, we know they're not the greedy you know, uh, wealthy people that are beating up on the vulnerable in the community like some people portray them to be. They are people just looking to uh, get ahead with wealth strategies themselves and they're doing it as tough as the the tenants in many situations just trying to keep the show on the road. So uh, land tax uh, is um, is a clunky tax the way it's applied. It's not fairly distributed amongst the community and um, that is that is a cost that, that lands squarely with landlords. That's uh, really insightful, Peter, and it's uh, good information to know and certainly food for thought for any investors out there who are thinking about selling that the time is now really to, uh, to get on board. Look, we've come to the end of the episode. I think it's been a really good one, some great information in there. As always, thanks for joining me, Pete. Uh, pleasure, Kieran. It's been, been a good, uh, good chat today for sure. Been a great chat. I'll talk to you all next time and we'll see you again on Current Market Insights. Thanks for joining us on the Current Market Insights podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate, the podcast providing real estate insights you won't find anywhere else.